In the podcast today, I'm joined by Pamela Wilson, who is a 30-year veteran, I guess, like me, of marketing, currently Chief Marketing Officer at a fast-growing business in the healthcare sector, but very poignantly for this particular conversation, the author of two really important books right now. Uh, One is the Master Content Strategy book and also Master Content Marketing book, which we're going to feature quite heavily, I think, uh, within this conversation. So welcome to the podcast, Pamela. I'm so glad to be here, Neil. Thank you. This is great timing. I just feel right here, right now. I know um, in recent episodes, um, and we talked about this just before the podcast, um, we've had a lot of people here talking about kind of the moment, if you like, that AI has um, sort of taken really in all of our kind of... uh, sort of, you know, perspectives uh, in terms of communication right now. So everybody's kind of looking at this, everybody's focusing on it. It is planning season for many of us, large, small and uh, sort of micro businesses. We're all trying to kind of tussle with this and kind of figure out how to get best value from this. So I think our conversation here, which is going to be maybe a little bit more practical than some of the more philosophical conversations we've had of late, I think the timing of this is just perfect. I mean, how are you kind of sort of seeing this play out in your kind of audience with your clients and uh, on your kind of uh, podcast journeys? It's so interesting because uh, what I see is a parallel with something that happened very early in my career. I started out as a graphic designer and I started out long enough ago that graphic design was not done on computers in those days. You you had an idea and you grabbed a set of markers and you drew out your idea and that was what you showed the client. You showed them mock-ups that were hand done. And really the ability to succeed in that career was it had a lot to do with sort of hand-eye coordination and and what you could create from your hands. So when computers came in in the early years of my career, that was seen as, you know, they were just going to tank the design um, a design as a career and and just, you know, everything was going to be so automated and mechanical and generated by a machine and the quality of design was going to go down. And so a lot of the fear that I saw early in my career around computers is a lot of what I have seen right now. Um, People are afraid that AI will take away their jobs. They're afraid that it will, in general, just tank the quality of content overall. And, you know, what happened in the design world is, yes, there were a few years where lower quality design was out on the market. You could see it, you know, and that was partly because the computers themselves were not as sophisticated in the early years. So what you could do on them was just not as good. So same thing with AI, right? It's not as sophisticated. We're in the very early years of AI. And as we go along, we can see it getting more sophisticated. The tool itself is functioning better overall, right? With some bumps in the road, of course, but the overall trajectory is up in terms of the quality of what you can get from an AI writing tool. Same thing happened with computers and design. So I'm sort of feeling like what goes around comes around. And I'm very excited to see how things play out in the future. There's a lot of fear around it right now. 
But I think the more people see it as a tool that they can learn to use and, and harness the power of, the better they'll feel about it and they'll feel less fear overall. Mm. Do, do you think the fears come around off the back of this happening so quickly? Because if we look back, even say 12 months ago, this wasn't really a topic. I mean, I know AI has been around for decades and, you know, anybody who's been in the sort of tech industry has known that, you know, fundamentally it's existed for a long time but from a marketer's perspective this is the new kid on the block this is something that has suddenly arrived and you kind of have to get your head around it you have to really understand the role and the part that it's going to play within the organization did you think some of the fear is because it's arrived so quickly from almost from nowhere for many of us Definitely. It's, it's, I call it the chat GPT effect, right? Because that was sort of the first mass market, widely available AI model that people could go in and experiment with. And I mean, I had the privilege of showing a handful of people how it worked for the very first time. And, you know, just to see their faces go kind of saying like, whoa, <laughs> you know, like it, it, they had heard about it on the news and heard about its capabilities, but then they experimented with it. And it was just amazing. You could see people thinking this is so powerful and this is scary powerful, right? Um, it does seem like the kind of thing that people could misuse. And I think a lot of the fear comes from that. Um, but I, again, I think if you just see it as a tool that you are driving, you are holding in your hand and driving, all of that fear goes away. So giving it a almost like a job description in many ways. So you, you, you let it understand its parameters. You let it understand this is the role that I want you to play. And then it, it almost it puts the boundary around it and it stays in its box. And it, it kind of it wants to burst out and you know, be everything to you. But if you constrain it, then there's a nice natural position, probably within your um, your team or your function that you al you're allowing it to do. Is, is, is that kind of the best way to? That's, yeah, it, it's constraining it, Neil, but it's also giving it an aspirational role. So you don't want to just say you are a copywriter. You want to say you are an industry leading copywriter in this niche, right? So something you want it to be its best version of itself, right? So that's part of that constraint. But I, you know, overall, I just think seeing it as a tool that can become part of your content production process it does not take over the process. It is a tool that you use at certain points in the process, just like you might use, you know, Google Docs to set up a blog post or to get it edited or something like that. It's a tool. And if you weave it into the process, you're you're sort of putting it in its place and figuring out what does it do best and what is it really not good for. And mm. I think doing that thinking ahead of time and then just using it over time and and getting more skilled at using it is is really the name of the game yeah, I mean, people I've been talking to both as as clients and obviously people also on the podcast, 
I think the consensus generally has been that you can invite it to your meetings. I, I'm really interested to kind of explore this with you to see what you think on, on this particular topic, because, you know, as I say, for many of us, this is kind of planning season. It is that time when we're trying to figure out for next year, you know, what do I need to include directionally? Where are we going? More strategic kind of position for the medium to longer term. If you're sat in a team room and they, you've got people around the table and you've got the, the blue sky thinking and you've got your flip chart out and you're putting your sticky notes onto the, the board and you're kind of big dreaming, it feels like if, if you've got then a, a computer sat on the desk as well in front of you that has got something like GPT, others are available, um, but you've got GPT running there, it feels like it's kind of part of the team that can then, when called upon, to stimulate ideas or to give a little bit of direction or maybe provide evidence for you know a particular topic thread that you're exploring it can come back because it can tap into the bigger matrix way, way more than we as human beings can do. W would you see when you talk about strategic marketing, how do you kind of, you know, maybe with that as a question, how do you define its role? I, I really, uh, I don't see it as a participant in a meeting. I see it as a tool you might refer to in a meeting in the same way that you might search for something on the web. So let's say you're in a strategic meeting and you're trying to plan content around um, that will sort of respond to a new offer that a competitor has brought into the marketplace. So you may, you may look up that offer to get details on what your competitor is offering so that you can kind of respond to that with your content. I see ChatGPT not as doing that because that really that really relies on getting real time up to the moment information, which may or may not be something that you can get from an AI writing tool. I do see places where if, if for example, you are going to, you're going to write, you're going to create a campaign that responds to this new offer that your competitor has, then you could go into ChatGPT and say, what do I need to keep in mind if I am and all the details? In a B2B healthcare space, responding to an offer that a competitor has made, I'm going to do a campaign that will be in digital and print. Like you give it all the details. What do I need to keep in mind? And it may suggest things that you have not thought of. Um, I would not expect it to assemble the entire campaign, never. But, you know, if you're a skilled marketer, you probably thought of most of it, but there may be this little 10 or 20% of ideas that it will give you back like, oh, I hadn't thought about, you know, podcast ads. Maybe I'll explore that, right? So it, what I love about it is it's never tired. If you have to put something together at the end of a very long day full of meetings, it can be a good brainstormer that you can refer to. Um, but I, you know, the way I tell people is, I have a couple of analogies. One of them is that it's an over-caffeinated intern that you have hired. So imagine an intern, you brought them into your company, they're very enthusiastic and they've had way too much caffeine. <laughs> so you give them a job to do and they get it done quickly, but it may not be very accurate. It may not be, it may not even be true in some places. They may just put in facts that aren't accurate at all. Um, and it may be a little sloppy, like not not well crafted, right? 
So you would never ask that over-caffeinated intern to develop your strategy, but you may ask it to brainstorm because it's fast and it's enthusiastic, right? So you might get some good ideas from it, but you wouldn't ask it to take over, right? And then the other thing I always tell people is, you know, it's, it's, a, it's like, it's not driving the bus. You're driving the bus, right? You're driving the bus of your strategy. You're deciding where you're going to go with the strategy, how quickly you'll get there. You'll decide who needs to be on the bus, what, the, how that trip is going to play out. And yes, chat, GPT, or any other AI tool might be able to give you some alternate routes that you could take or some places you might want to stop along the way to look at, but you are driving the bus. You don't want to sit AI in the driver's seat ever, ever. It's, it's a participant in the process, but should not ever be running, running the whole show. Does that make sense? Mm, it, it does. And I, I could just, as soon as you said over-caffeinated intern, I just, I could see that person and they were frightening, actually. Yeah. You know, it was, you know, <laughs> would you employ that person, you know? Well, I mean, maybe you might, you might, you, yeah. right. You might, you might bring them into a room to talk about a project, to throw out ideas because they'll be very enthusiastic and they'll give you ideas very quickly. Right. But yeah, you wouldn't you wouldn't want them running things, right? Mm, and I think that's the key, isn't it? It is kind of the rightful place for the skills that it has. Again, like like a like a person, you know, because we're not all brilliant at you know everything that we do. You know, we have specialist skills, we have value that we can add in certain areas, and then we can get others to kind of infill where there might be either a weakness or a preference not to do something. It kind of feels like it's filling those gaps, doesn't it? Because, and particularly, I guess, for a smaller size business, it can perform a number of functions that otherwise you'd need to have some hires to, to actually you know, come in and fill those spaces. So there's something really quite nice in terms of the scalability. I'm still thinking planning level here, the scalability of this, because you can punch above your weight, can't you really, in terms of the automation and the efficiency? You really can if you know how to use it correctly. I think in the hands of a skilled marketer, it can be, it can be really powerful. And it, I have seen that on my own team. Um, we're a very small team in the company. We're the smallest team in the company, and um, we really we do we create very high quality content that's working really well. And it's partly because we do have it as part of our workflow. It doesn't do the work for us, but it it assists at certain key moments in the process. And that has been incredibly helpful. My team has been pretty excited to learn how and where to use it and how not to use it. Um, certain things I've seen come across my desk for review and I, I've sent it back and said, ah, yeah, I can see the chat GPT. And, <laughs> you know, we need to get a little more humanity into this. So, um, one thing that we notice it will do is it starts adding analogies and it will just be one analogy after another. I, I had this one video script I was um, approving a few weeks ago and in a one minute video, I think it was four different comparison style analogies. I was like, yeah, we need to pare these down because the humans who are trying to follow this video will not be able to follow all these analogies. It's very confusing. It's almost quite entertaining as well, actually, to see what it will come up with just in a, 
a sense of something completely inappropriate, not necessarily, you know, completely inappropriate, but in terms of kind of the value that it's actually bringing, because, I mean, that is way overkill. It's interesting. I've, I've literally just come off the back of a, a webinar, which was um, focused actually, you know, ironically on the uh, the art of storytelling um, and using various kind of arc kind of models and, um, you know, frameworks that allow you to, you know, build the intrigue, you know, reach the climax at the right point in the story and then give a call to action. You know, all of those kind of real planning techniques it feels like if you know you allow you know some of these AIs to kind of go off and do their own thing they become almost overexcited over caffeinated in terms of the, the the capability that they have in certain areas to tap into the matrix to give you all those analogies it kind of gets almost overexcited I mean I mean you must see a lot of those kinds of examples definitely definitely and there's there are things you can do at the prompt stage to get it to just, you know, dial back on that a little bit. Um, but again, that's where I think being a skilled marketer, having those um, overall marketing skills and then some writing skills helps you to recognize when it's gone off the rails. It's like, well, this is not good. No human is going to think this is good. So we need to make some adjustments. That's always going to be the key, which is why I don't see, you know, people in this past year have been talking about oh, it's going to take over marketing and smaller businesses can just do their marketing using an AI tool. I don't think so. Not if they want to do it well. That's like saying the tool is going to do the work. And I, I you know, it it's a tool. It's a tool. Just like picking up a, a, you know, having, possessing a saw doesn't mean that you're going to skillfully cut wood, Right. You, you need to have it in your hand and guide it, and then you'll be able to make the cuts you want to make. So it's just, it's it's a tool. And the more we think of it as a tool, the less scary it is, and the more skillfully we can deploy it, I think. Yeah, I would certainly agree. And I, th I think, um, again, lovely analogy there, the, uh, the saw there, because yeah, the thing just lies there, you know, dormant, passive until you actually enable it by, you know, as you say, the, the physical inputs that it needs to actually act as what it is. So, yeah, it's a lovely analogy, that one. I'm sure, you know, everybody's kind of understanding that. I mean, I just want to kind of move sort of gradually into the whole kind of ethics question mark here, because, you know, there is the opportunity to use AI writing tools in such a way that you can either fake it or you can kind of get away with being either more than you um, actually are in terms of the claims or you can use it to you know create you know huge amounts of content really at scale that could well probably will be very inappropriate as a, as a business or as a brand well, what's your take really on kind of the, again, talking about maybe the boundaries of this, the the kind of the the ethical range of AI writing tools? Is there a, a kind of a set of kind of principles, if you like, or guidelines that we should all be adhering to? Because, you know, when you open up this potential floodgate, you know, anything could happen. And the less scrupulous of us, you know, could jump on this and think, oh, now I can do absolutely everything. But that fundamentally isn't right, is it? No, it's not. And, um, you know, going back to the story I told at the beginning that I was around for the inception of using computers for graphic design, 
what we saw for a few years were lower quality pieces that were going to print. Um, and the fear was, that's it. This is going to become the new acceptable standard for design work, these pixelated fonts and hard to read designs. People who call themselves desktop publishers rather than designers doing this professional work and taking away clients. I mean, there was all this fear around that. And for a couple of years, we did see that. But then, I mean, just like in anything else, the highest quality, most human resonant marketing is what will always rise to the top, right? So we saw that in those early years that suddenly the, the businesses and the agencies that were offering higher quality design work, they started rising to the top and, and out competing the people who were using the lower quality desktop publishing generated content, right? And I see the same thing happening. Yes, we will probably see a year or two of lower quality content flooding the market. I think we just need to hold tight and ride it out because I do not think that it's what will prevail. I think in the end, content that is guided by humans, skilled humans, is always going to be what's, what prevails. Now, AI can be part of that process, absolutely. But if you have created a content strategy that's based on what you know your prospects need in the process of purchasing from your company, and you base it around that, and then you develop a content plan that meets those needs every step of the way, and then you incorporate AI in a part of the process, which we can talk about specifically, I think there's, there will be no out-competing that kind of approach. Mm, there's something lovely and clean and clear about that, isn't there? Again, it comes back to this thing about giving it a role and a purpose, is that as a marketer, and obviously we have a, a lot of marketers listening uh, and watching this, um, it is the biggest part of the audience along with, you know, entrepreneurs and business owners and, and uh, people like that who are, I, I guess, kind of trying to find competitive advantage here all the time. So be that through automation or, you know, better efficiencies or, as we say, you know, it could be, you know, because this enables, you know, a greater scale of production that you might have been struggling to find the time because you're a small team. And now suddenly you can do two posts a day rather than a couple of posts a week. It, there's this kind of, you yeah, this potential noise wall that is coming at us as everybody starts to explore and experiment. How long do you think that's going to be before this starts to kind of filter out? Because you, you've said for a while here that you think that there will be a lot of noise in the marketplace and potentially a lot of generic content. Do, do, you, do you think we're talking a year, two years? And will it be that the, the kind of platforms like Google, for example, with all of their algorithms, they will start to penalize this kind of generic content and then reward personal content? I, Google Google has always emphasized content that resonates with humans. Um, there there were content mills they were called a few years ago that were just churning out content, um, oftentimes English content written by people for whom English was not their first language. So sometimes it sounded a little stilted. Uh, people didn't pay a lot of money for it, and they published frequently using it. And Google caught on to that pretty quickly and adjusted the algorithm. So I do think that 
you know, I don't have a crystal ball, but I would say maybe a year or two. It won't be long because in the end, the search engines really want to send us to sites that are helpful and, and see that we stay on those sites and continue to consume the content. So uh, low quality content will not, will not do that. It won't deliver that. I would say a year or two. Yeah. And I think, again, that probably I would say on average that kind of fits with, you know, what I've been hearing too. So, yeah, it's great to get that from, you know, somebody like you, Pam, who clearly, you know, commentating and watching this so, so closely. It's, you know, you say you haven't got a crystal ball, but there is no playbook. I find myself saying this all the time is that nobody actually really knows it. So it's both exciting and a little kind of daunting for a lot of people in equal measure, you know, so that, you know, you see this as a big opportunity, but at the same time, we don't really know how this is going to play out i mean ethically to use that word sort of ethics i mean how far should we be taking this really i mean is is there almost a, a kind of a limit to really where this can go for us as marketers i'm thinking particularly as marketers here because ultimately the customer whoever they might be b2b b2c they really want to have a relationship with us as individuals within the organization to make those kind of buying decisions based on human to human experience. If we start to over automate or if we start to over engineer using writing tools or other kind of AI technologies, is there a danger we kind of almost position ourselves out of that relationship and we become absolutely obsolete? Because ethically, that doesn't really feel like we should be replacing ourselves with this kind of AI machine? Yes. No, we should not. We should not. It, it, um, I think you're right. I think that there is always going to be a limit to that. And in the end, what, what will always win is that human relationship. So we have to be aware that anytime we weave in AI to our processes, there is a chance that our communication will start to sound sort of robotic and not authentic, not not human. So knowing where to put it in and where to not put it in, I think is really crucial. Mm. Is it, I mean, I just, as, as you're describing that, I mean, one thing I was thinking there just literally just came into my head um, was, was this whole idea that if you get it wrong, I don't want to make people feel fearful, but I think there's an issue here. If you get it wrong, in other words, almost if you get spotted that you have created some content, it's either a blog or it's a news item or maybe it's some social content or something that's a, a follow up to maybe a product launch or something like that. And instantly, because you took an easy option on that one day, in that one moment, and you didn't fully edit it, and it's so clearly written by GPT or other AI writing tools, does that undermine everything as a brand? Does that make, kind of sort of almost make people think, well, actually, so I don't trust that because it wasn't written by who I thought I was hearing from. So now I'm not going to trust anything else this, this brand publishes. Do, do you think there's a danger here that if we get almost caught out as marketers, we've really kind of created a, a monster that we can't then retrieve from? I think there is a danger. And I think um, having that trust-based relationship with your prospects is is crucial and you don't want to do anything that will cause them to lose trust in you. So ensuring that how you're communicating and what you're saying is crafted by a human as much as possible is, is really important. 
I do think it's a danger we need to be aware of. Mm. Yeah, because it just feels, again, the way you've described things that, you know, great opportunity, but guys, don't just overcook this. And right. and, and ultimately always, and I think you described that role with the, uh, you know, the video content that there's got to be somebody who will sign this off, you know, GPT mm -hmm. and others are not there to sign this stuff off before you press the publish button. So is, is there kind of like a process that you would recommend working to in terms of AI, you know, content assistant or content producer, and then somebody and another party who kind of oversees the work of those two, or, or is it more complex than that? I, well, I'll tell you what we do on my team, um, and maybe that this will help. So we, first of all, come up with a content strategy on a month-by-month -month basis. So we work ahead a month and look ahead to the next month and plan out what we're going to be publishing and when and the themes that we'll be talking about and all of that. So that part is all human. It's, a, it's all of us meeting and knowing what the company is working on, what we want to emphasize right now, what customers are asking, things that are happening in the industry that we want to address, all of that. It's a big brainstorming meeting with my, well, I say big brainstorming meeting. We're a tiny team. So it's a tiny brainstorming meeting with our team. And we sort of map out what we're going to talk about for the month. And then when it comes to an actual piece of content, what we do is I developed a content brief structure that the writer fills out. And that includes um, the headline that she's planning to use, the keywords that we would like to target, the main points she wants to make, and things like I, the way I teach content marketing is I, I teach these seven essential elements. Let me give you those first so that you understand. So the seven essential elements are, uh, and this goes for blog posts, podcasts, videos. You need to have some kind of headline or title. You need to have a first sentence or a hook that pulls people in from the very beginning and keeps them engaged in the content. Then you want to have some kind of introduction session section, which is what you did beautifully on this podcast episode. You introduced me and the topic we are going to be talking about. Blog posts have to do the same thing. You need to give people a reason to stay engaged with the content. And then looking at the content, typically there are subheads, or in the case of videos or podcasts, there are sort of subsections in the piece of content. And then you have everything that kind of fills in in between. So let's say you have for example, you and I just started talking about the, the granular way that you can incorporate AI and in content creation. That is our subsection. And right now I'm filling out what goes into that subsection. You do the same in a blog post. You have a subhead and then you fill out beneath the subhead with the main points you want to make. You might have a bulleted list or a call out quote or something like that. And then towards Towards the end of the piece of content, typically you have a summary. So this is in a blog post, it looks like you just briefly review the main points you covered. You may do that in the episode today where you sort of wrap things up in a, and tie a bow on them. And then typically there's some kind of call to action at the end. You want people to share the content. You want them to, um, back in the day, we used to ask people to leave a comment. Maybe you want them to sign up for something that you have, a free lead magnet or something like that. 
So those seven elements are in our content brief. And I'm asking the writer to think about all of them ahead of time so that she sort of has an outline of what she wants to write. And then that outline is what gets fed into ChatGPT to get some help generating what I call draft zero. So it's not, not as good as a first draft. It's a draft zero. So you and I talked about the over-caffeinated intern. So this is kind of the draft that your over-caffeinated intern would develop for you. It's okay. There are some good ideas in there. There are some things you can use, but you would never pass it off as even a first draft from a human writer. It's just something that the human writer can start with. But that thing, that draft zero, is based on, first of, our, first of all, our overall strategy for what we want to do with our content that month, and then an individual strategy for that piece of content, which is the content brief based on those seven essential elements. So the, the AI writing tool is getting a lot of context and a lot of human-created strategy before it starts doing any writing at all. And I think that's what helps. And then obviously the writer takes that draft zero, smooths it out, you know, adds human points of view, human quotes, human data that the AI writing tool may not have, and then crafts a first draft that goes to an editor on the team who looks at it and they work together to smooth it out. And then it gets finalized and published. We add images, we add quotes, we add all sorts of human touches that the AI doesn't have access to or can't can't create for us unless, I guess it can create images now, but only if we get involved, right? So we, we think through, you know, what kind of images would help in this post and where can we add those in? We add videos oftentimes. So we've got our fingerprints all over it. I would challenge anyone to look at our content and identify that it had AI involved in any part of the process. I don't think it looks like it. Behind the scenes, we know it's involved because we're able to create content so much faster. Um, and I have freed up my team's time to be able to do additional special projects this year because we've involved AI in our content creation process. So that draft zero then, because I think for a lot of people who maybe are doing a draft one, possibly a draft two, depending on how draft one goes, and then hitting publish, the, the logic says if you're adding in a draft zero, well, that's going to actually add time to the process. But you're saying overall, it makes it even faster, even though the process is actually longer. That's clever. Well, it's not really that much longer. So think about it. it you know, before chat GPT or any AI writing tool was a part of the process, I was still having people go through and do a content brief because if you don't have any kind of content brief, any kind of planning document before you create a, a piece of content, the person working on the content may go completely off the rails in the wrong direction and lose a lot of time spent developing something that really doesn't fit into your overall strategy. So some kind of planning document was always a part of our process. And to go from the planning document to a first draft took a long time because the writer had to flesh everything out from scratch. So they were going from this very bare bones outline that had the basic points, but it was really like a bulleted list, right? They had to go from that to a 1500 word blog post, say, for example. 
And that took a lot of work. So chat GPT, in our case, any AI writing tool is an additional step, but adding that step in, it might take an extra five minutes of time. And then the writer has this draft zero that then rather than writing from scratch, they are fleshing out, smoothing out, they're pulling pieces out of it, adding little sections in, adding quotes, adding detail. They're doing a little more editing work than just straight writing from scratch work. So it has sped it up. We added a step that sped things up. Mm, that's, it's really interesting. I literally have not thought of it in that way before. It's just... Yeah, it's just about being smarter, I guess, with that kind of that step in the process where it adds so much value that it's almost like now you've done it, you can't not do it because it just brings so much contextual, yeah, kind of thinking that would have been a very manual process before. But whereas now, even though it's an additional, you know, an obvious additional step, actually, it's not really adding, you know, very much to it. That's that's really, really interesting. I like that. I think a lot of people would be making notes here at this point. Um, um, another thing, actually, just kind of building on that, which I'm curious about, is that if, um, say, somebody listening to this is um, on agency side rather than, say, client side, so, you know, they're doing this kind of work on behalf of maybe a number of uh, clients, um, would you be then advocating that the AI writing tool, you almost, or the over-caffeinated intern now, as I'm going to be calling them, um, that they're actually introduced to each individual client so that the tone of voice and the style and the nuance of the writing is actually trained into each client's, almost like if it's GPT, message thread, so that you have a different kind of pocket of GPT for each individual client. Because otherwise all of your clients are going to end up sounding the same, aren't they? Right, right. Yes, and that is very doable now. In ChatGPT, this is something that launched recently, but you can actually create these GPTs that are customized for specific uses. So um, this is in the paid version of ChatGPT, which is the best $20 a month I've spent in <laughs> the entire year. So um, definitely worth doing, and you can create a GPT that understands your custom, your um, if you're in an agency, your clients, prospects, understands its goals, understands the tone of voice you want to use, words you want to avoid, ways you want to speak about things. We have a messaging document, for example, so we can feed in phrases that we use to describe certain benefits that we deliver, and that way it always knows to kind of use those phrases. So. You can definitely um, educate your over-caffeinated intern and, and give it additional skills so that that draft zero is a lot closer to a final product and you don't have to edit quite as much or, or make as many corrections. Mm. And so this becomes it feels much more of a considered process. I think a lot of people maybe outside of marketing or maybe some more junior marketers coming to this kind of topic for the first time probably are of the mindset in, in, in mass or significant numbers would be of the mindset that, well, you just start writing, don't you? You've got the facts, here you go. You just start writing some content. 
this feels as though it's much more kind of process driven and systematic, which gives you control, doesn't it? Because then things are almost measurable and they're accountable and you can almost go back. If you don't get something quite right, you can almost go back and change the process. So next time it's improvement. Is it very much systematic kind of writing? It definitely is. And I'll tell you, this is exactly why I had to rewrite my content marketing books, because once we hit on this process early this year, I I just sort of said, I can't have those books on the market without talking about this, because this is now a tool that's available and I need to talk about the best way to use it. Um, I published those books years ago. I was an executive at Copyblogger, which is a company that early in the content marketing industry was very influential. And people sort of see me as one of the content marketing OGs, right? So I was getting a lot of people asking me questions, you know, what do you think about these AI tools? And I that was when I knew I had to update the books because I wanted people to understand that there is a way that you can work it into the system uh, you don't hand over the keys to the bus to it, right? But there's a way that you can sit it on the bus as part of your journey and part of the way you create content that can be really useful. And I, I mean, I think it's a lot of fun, honestly. Um, sometimes it's fun because you're laughing at what it gives you, you know? It's like a look at what it thinks we should write about. You know, it's ridiculous. But sometimes it's just a lot of fun because it gives you things you hadn't considered, it's like, oh, well, that's an interesting angle. Let's let's explore that, right? That's where that over-caffeinated in intern can be useful, amusing even sometimes. Mm, and, and they're just too much caffeine. I know the feeling myself, you know, too much <laughs> caffeine. Anything can happen. <laughs> right. So, uh, yeah, well, sometimes, I mean, I guess, like you say, particularly for those of us who have, you know, produced over the years a lot of content, you know that you're going to get writer's block at some point, even yes. if you've got that monthly content strategy meeting and you're, you know, with Best Endeavor, you know what your overarching strategy is. So, you know, you've got all these content threads that you can write to at some point there will be writer's block. So this kind of feels like it's a give it extra caffeine and it's an enabler to kind of pull up those moments. It takes out some new ideas, definitely. Mm -hmm. And the, the interesting thing that I wanna make sure I mention is that as part of our overall content process, we are using the blog posts that we generate as inspiration for videos. So um, one of the posts that we publish every week has a video embedded into it. And we're looking at our content strategy and deciding which of these topics is, is going to work with video, which, which would be a video type topic. And the video content is based on that same content brief that we're using for the blog post. Our videographer looks at that and then develops a, a script based on that and then highlights the main points. So that video is on our YouTube channel, but it also gets embedded in the post. And then the other thing that we're doing is we are doing content upgrades. Are you familiar with that concept? Tell me more. Tell me more. So a content upgrade is if you write, for example, a blog post, but it could be a podcast episode or a video that's about a really dense topic that you know your prospects are interested in. You can give some basic information in the piece of content and then offer to give your prospect additional information uh, 
if they will share their email address and then you send it to them, let's say in a PDF or maybe it's a, a bonus tutorial video or something like that. So you're getting an email in exchange for this additional information that's based on the topic of the post. And this is another place where AI writing tools have really helped because let's say we have this very specific, very dense topic and we, we give the five main points in the blog post. And let's say we wanna get five more in this content upgrade. It's been really helpful to have this over-caffeinated brainstorming partner because you can say, give me 25 additional ideas. And then you just pull the best five and develop those into the content upgrade. So we have been able to do a content upgrade every single month. And those have helped to build our email list with very targeted leads where we know exactly the content upgrade they signed up for. And that tells us what they're most interested in. So we have leads that we have a little bit of data about. And then we've also been able to do a video every single week because we have AI built into this process. It's made everything easier. It's amazing. Really, really good. And I just love the fact it is a process. I mean, that's the thing, you know, for a lot of us to keep that consistency, that whole kind of systemizing this, I think is so, so important. And, you know, I know you and I are kind of very planful in the way that we approach this. I can just tell by the way you're describing this. I think for those more random or let's call it spontaneous uh, marketers and business owners out there, you know, this might be a new kind of style of doing things, but, you know, clearly gets the consistency, the reliability and the those outputs, which is amazing. So I want to signpost people to your book, Pamela. I want all your books rather, because there are two for both for the strategy and the, the actual content production. So how can people get hold of them? The best place to find them is to go to my website, PamelaWilson.com. I own my name on the internet, so they can go there and they'll see them on the homepage. They could also go directly to the books page, which is mastercontentbooks.com. And that will take them straight to the page that tells them about each of the um, books and what they contain and what they can find in, in them. And they're available on all the major online stores, Amazon, uh, Kobo, what else? Google Play, <laughs> you know, all the major, all the major locations, they can be found there too. Oh, that's great. And I can certainly I can I can feel that uh, on many marketers Christmas lists now we're seeing that book because all those those two books as a set, because, um, yeah, this this is really important stuff. And I think right now, if you are listening or watching this and you want to get competitive advantage, you want to protect yourself, you don't want to get caught by the changes to Google's algorithms that we've been talking about. And you want to create a solid system for production of your content into next year this is the approach. This is the way to do it. So Pamela, thank you so much for your your time and your wisdom and, and the ideas. I mean, you said this was going to be a practical session. I think people have got a lot of ideas here to go away and experiment and explore with, and I'm, I'm sure different ways of doing what they have been doing. So thank you very, very much for just sharing that with us. Thank you, Neil. I am excited to have been able to talk about this, and I hope that people are excited about the possibilities and maybe lost some of their fear after listening to this episode.